Welcome to The Savvy Session, your go-to podcast about elevating your life and business, sprinkled with a little bit of fun. This podcast is brought to you by Elevate Performance Solutions and Revolu IT Services. And now, here are your hosts, Kirsten Ramos and Paula Kircher. Welcome back to The Savvy Session. This is episode two of season one, and today we'll be discussing navigating physical space as many areas are opening back up, and also how we best deal with the changes and challenges between moving from virtual to hybrid and then to hybrid, uh, from hybrid to in-person. Because I think I know both Paula and I used to do everything in person from networking events to actually meeting with our clients, our colleagues, And then two years ago, we moved completely virtual, and now we're even starting to see that hybrid return, and then uh, a lot of those in-person events also come into play. And today, we are joined by Cindy Grohmeyer, a truly amazing leader both Kirsten and I have had the pleasure of working with during our Elevating Women Conference that we hosted this past fall. Cindy is a professor of communication at St. Xavier University here in Chicago, in which she focuses on public speaking and strategic communication. In addition to her teaching, Cindy serves as president of the board of directors for the Mad Dog Strong Foundation, in which she founded with her husband and daughter to honor the decision of their youngest daughter, Maddie, to be an organ and tissue donor. I've had the pleasure of hearing Cindy speak at a few events, and she's always warm, engaging, and the audience loves her. When Kirsten and I were discussing potential guests for our podcast, Cindy was the first person we thought of, and I'm excited to have Cindy here as our guest today and can't wait for you to learn more about her. Hello and welcome, Cindy. Thank you both for having me. I'm really looking forward to to speaking with you during this podcast today. Excellent. Well, Cindy, thanks so much. We truly appreciate your time, your energy, and um, all of the tips you're going to talk about today. And Cindy, to start things off, as an educator, you had to shift focus during the start of the pandemic, as as we just mentioned for many of us, um, and, and also for much of the past two years. Now you are back in person. And since many people are still not back 100% into the office, even though most higher education environments are, could you tell us about the difference between showing up versus participating in the virtual meeting environment? Absolutely. Well, we kind of had a running joke among my colleagues um, during the pandemic when we were fully online that uh, all we ever saw of our students was the spinning fan in their <laughs> ceilings uh, if, if they bothered to turn their cameras on. And so I, while I firmly believe that the virtual environment does offer a lot of advantages and in, in many, for many people, it's a better space to learn in than an in-person environment. And, you know, that's going to be something I think we'll have to explore as we move um, further down the road a few years out of this pandemic and out of that rapid shift. Um, There's definitely both in-person and online, there is a big difference between just showing up 
and actually showing up, engaging, and then moving to that next level if if required into participating. And, and how does that look different? In many respects, it doesn't look different between the virtual environment and a classroom. I mean, you can be equally disengaged in a classroom as you can on Zoom in my, in, in my experience. Yeah, that's true. Yep. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yes. Um, but I think for one, um, when you are in person, you can actually see the people. And so you can use that, you know, if you are the speaker, the presenter, the primary person running whatever you're doing, you can actually read the room, right? You can, you can look at the nonverbals, you can look at the, look at people and yeah, people can fake it, but you, you can get some sense of, okay, maybe we need to shift, change, et cetera. You can, and you can work through that. Whereas on Zoom, if people don't turn their cameras on, you can't do that. You know, you really can't read the room. You don't even, you don't even know if you're talking to anyone at that point. And it's really challenging for uh, a presenter or a teacher or someone who's running a meeting um, to, to do that. And, and when you put yourself into that, their shoes, and you think about that, you kind of recognize that, but it's also weird for us, right? You know, when we, when we walk into a meeting room, when we walk into a classroom, we know we're going to be physically there when we log on to a zoom meeting and half the people have cameras on half the people have cameras off. Uh, maybe you're not in a space that you're really comfortable with showing the background. Um, you know, there could be a lot of reasons why you don't want your camera on, but that doesn't mean you're less engaged necessarily, but it definitely has an impact on the person who is running that meeting. Um, now some of the tricks that we we learned as we went through things is that, you know, make you have to do if a meeting is one thing, um, you know, but I think that even in a meeting, you still need to encourage that participation, even if the meeting is virtual. And, and I honestly think that Zoom sort of allows for that even a little bit more than an in-person meeting does. You know, if you utilize polls, for example, to kind of get people's feedback on something in real time, on Zoom, that's a little bit more comfortable, a little less threatening than asking people to raise their hands in a live meeting. So if you utilize the technology effectively to kind of make sure and kind of keep people engaged, um, it can be a really effective, it can be a really effective way to conduct meetings, to conduct training, to conduct uh, learning. Um, but you you just have to make sure that, well, what I think happens is that as you do that and people come to know you, they know to expect that. And so they know <laughs> that they don't get to turn on Zoom and walk away. They're like, oh no, she's going to have polls. So I'm going to have to pay attention, yeah. right? And that was sort of what we did with our classes. You know, we, we kind of learned to um, make sure that they didn't know when it was coming so that they'd have to stay engaged. Yeah, that's a great point about polls. I mean, I've had that in some of the webinars I've been in, and it's a great way to engage, not only know if people are participating, but a great way to get feedback, you know, during mm-hmm. your webinar. So agree with those, utilizing those polls during um, a virtual meeting. Absolutely. And one of the other nice things about the technology too, is that you can record the meeting. Uh, so people who can't make it at that time can, can come in later. Uh, people who missed something or want to review something can go back and review it. Whereas, you know, most of the time we don't do that when we're in person. So that's, that's another extremely helpful 
piece of the technology too. Yep. I do think one of the things that we learned during the pandemic, at least with our students though, is that there's sort of this assumption that younger people are digital na- digital natives and that they know how to work everything. And they're not as, they're not as savvy as, uh, <laughs> as we, as, as we <laughs> expect Cindy. them. Yeah. 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 And we've actually learned that there's um, uh, my, one of my colleagues and I wrote a chapter for a, a book um, that came out last year called Pandemic Pedagogy. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we talked about was that, um, at least among our students, we saw a first and a second level uh, digital divide. So the first level digital divide is what we're all familiar with, access to technology. Do you have broadband internet at your home? Do you have a laptop? Do you do, you do everything on your cell phone? You know, So the actual physical technology that you have, but there's actually a second level uh, digital divide, whereas young people or even adults who have grown up using technology, who have done their, have used technology their entire careers and are comfortable with it and are, have kept up with things, um, have a significant advantage. And we saw this in the quick shift over those who either did not, uh, were not raised or educated with tech, with significant use of technology or whose work has not did not require them to use technology, and then were suddenly forced into this technolo- technological environment. So we saw that second level digital divide really emerge during the pandemic. Hmm. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that aspect of, you know, if their parents are ones that are using it, they can then also help their their child. You know, when we went to that huge shift of going online, you know, definitely that's a great point. Didn't think about that. And Kirsten had brought up that, you know, many higher education establishments are back in person now. Can you talk to us a little bit about the challenges you're seeing amongst your students as they navigate to being in person and also as they transition back to face-to-face learning? Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the most significant things that we've seen and that my students have actually expressed to me, and, and I am very confident that this translates into working adults as well, is that that code switching from, you know, being in virtual space to being in physical space and face-to-face, understanding and dealing with the communication apprehension and how that differs in those two areas and in those two contexts um, and having to shift between those two so frequently has has really impacted our students. Our students, uh, so I I teach an honors course um, at St. Xavier and I had several of my students at the end of last semester, the fall semester, who came up to me and said, thank you. They said, I, we, were so, we were so afraid of coming back into the classroom because we were so nervous. We were so used to being online. And they said, you know, they had been giving presentations in high school up to the pandemic, no problem. And then they walked into that first semester back and said they were terrified to give a presentation because it had been so long, not just since they'd been in front of an audience giving a, a speech, which scares most people, 80% of people, in fact, um, but just not having that face-to-face regular communication interaction really impacted their self-confidence. And so we really had to spend a lot of time this year working through that communication apprehension piece with students, not just for public speaking, but just for participating in class in person and things like that. They're just not, they just had to readapt to that, to that space and that context from being online to being back face-to-face. And I'm sure workplaces are seeing that too. 
Well, definitely, Cindy. And I, I laugh with Paula that that sometimes when we're going into a networking event where we haven't been in person for these past two years, it's wow, I'm going to be so awkward. Mm-hmm. But what what I know I've I've found is that yeah, it might be a little awkward at first. Where am I looking? Okay, wait, I'm not looking at a camera anymore. I'm actually looking <laughs> at someone's face. I'm looking, making that eye contact that I haven't technically made in two years. And it is awkward. And guess what? Everyone's a little awkward. So I think, you know, having that, that knowledge up front that, listen, this is going to be a little awkward. Even if you are a gifted, feel, you know, gifted public speaker, or you feel like, great, I'm so good in person. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, I haven't really been in person. And now I'm, hi, I'm face to face. And this is weird. And we're talking over each other or, I don't know where to look, or I'm bringing up things that are weird just because I'm nervous. And I've, I love how you brought up that, you know, there's that lack of self-confidence where normally it existed. And I think, you know, that's something that a lot of people, again, in, in their undergraduate studies, their graduate studies, or in the workplace are really having to deal with now. Cindy, I want to ask you, you know, specifically around that space around, uh, you know, that navigating, when we had initially spoke as kind of our our pre-meeting to this podcast, you brought up a great term called power-defined space. I would love for you to explain a little bit about what is that and what do we need to know about it? Sure. And, and that's kind of my own term, uh, but it, it's rooted in Hall's theory of proxemics, which is basically, as people are familiar with, we all have, well, what, what most people think the theory is, is that it's, you know, we have different levels of, of space. And, and so intimate distance is within that one arm's length. And we only allow certain people into that space comfortably unless we're stuck in an elevator, you know, so, <laughs> which is why we're uncomfortable in elevators, because we've got people in that personal space, right? And then, you know, and then it moves out, but, um, but Hall's theory goes beyond that. And it, it talks about how we use space in relationship with other people. So, you know, think about a, a mother scolding a child. Is the mother going to sit down and let the child stand up, especially if the child's taller than her? Absolutely not. She's going to sit that child down and stand over them and scold them because that creates that that sense of power differential. And it also includes things like territoriality and, you know, uh, use of that personal space when we're in close proximity with other people, like sitting around a meeting, a boardroom table. So, you know, when you think about the shift to Zoom, all of those needs and, and sort of defined spaces got eliminated because now we're all on this same flat screen randomly appearing in whatever order, unless, you know, somebody's pinned because they're the speaker. So there's really no, there's no territoriality. There's no way of telling who's got the power over other people within that Zoom space because we're all existing on this flat screen. But as we come back into the to the boardrooms, to the meeting rooms, to the conference rooms, to the classrooms, now it's like, okay, for one, in the course of two years, somebody may have been brought into the company that you've never even met before. And now they're sitting in your seat in the conference room that for the last five years, everybody has known has, is your seat, right? And so how do you say, hi, nice to meet you. And, and then you've got to, of course, navigate. Are you going to shake their hand? Are you going to bump their elbow? You know, because <laughs> everybody's, you know, we've got those different, those different greetings now. But are you going to go up to that person and say, hey, that's my seat? <laughs> <laughs> 
but right. that's going to create a sense of discomfort for you. And, you know, now you've got to navigate that. I've got to find a new seat now. How do I, you know, and I've got to remember where everybody else's seat is and, and, and we're laughing, but we know this is true. I have seen students come into class and sit in someone's seat and that person comes in and is like taken aback <laughs> because why is that person, why is that, why are they in my seat? That's my seat. I've been in that seat for the first three weeks of the semester. What, who would think to do that? And so, you know, those are the kinds of things that we're having to relearn how to navigate and, you know, just power positioning, you know, when you're all on zoom, you don't have somebody who's sitting at the head of the table. And now you put somebody at the head of that table and that puts them into a psychological nonverbal position of power in that space. And, um, you know, even research shows that when you're in meetings or boardrooms or in space where it's shared space, um, men will typically take up more physical space than women. They will spread their their, their materials out more. They will tend to sit back in the seat and stretch legs out. And, and that, and that's just been shown to be true across pretty much every research study that's been done on it. And so on zoom, there is none of that. There's none of that gendered, um, that gendered use of space either. So it's, it's, so it's really interesting to think about those shifts back and just stepping back and realizing that, we haven't had to negotiate that for a while and what, a, what kinds of differences that is made. And now how do we renegotiate it again? Well, and Cindy, I love that you brought up the, you know, Oh, you're in my seat. I, I can't imagine ever saying that, especially if it's an open boardroom. Um, I, I realize in the classroom, if you've been sitting in the same seat for three weeks and someone new walks in and they're already sitting in your seat, that could be, um, that could definitely throw somebody off a bit. Um, But it is interesting. You're right. If it's, if you're part of an organization where you have sat in that one seat, it's three down from the head of the table on the left side, and that's your seat. And everyone else in the room that was there before in the, in the, as we like to call them, the before times (laughs) that a lot of times they, everybody else knows. And then the person that Hey, I've been working with you for two years, but guess what? I started in April of 2020 with the company and we've never met in person. And here we are, and this is the first impression. And, uh, so I, I love that you, um, that you, that you brought this up. So, so thanks for that. Also, as a side note, as a, as a mother of a 12 year old, who's already taller than me, I will (laughs) say that, that definitely that analogy resonated with me of, yes, you, you, you sit here so that. Uh, you're not towering over me as I'm trying to give you some uh, <laughs> some directives. <laughs> and I think, and I, it was making me think when you're thinking, you know, describing about like that person's seat. But I think in a company too, it could be related to when, you know, before the pandemic, a lot of companies had that open concept and you just chose your desk for the day. And I know that people would be very specific, the ones that got there early, like they had their seat, even though you could really sit sit anywhere. This probably relates to it as well as people are starting to come back and maybe they're only coming to the office a day or two. Someone could be sitting in their spot that, you know, two years ago was so-and-so spot. So I think that's a great point. Just thinking about that as well. 
Well, and yeah, Paula, that's going to be really interesting to see because that that's the new model, right? You work yeah. remotely two or three days a week. You only come into the office a couple of days a week. You don't have your own desk anymore. You're sharing space. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be really interesting to see how, the impact that has on organizational culture too. But that's for another podcast. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> and Cindy. We have one last question for you, and it's one that we'll be asking all of our guests on the Savvy Session, and that is, what would you say is your superpower, and how does it help you to succeed? So I wish I had something really cool to say, um, but cool is not my superpower, <laughs> and, I, and my daughter will remind me of that constantly, um, but I, I mean, I, I've got to go with the obvious. Communication is my superpower. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's what I've done my ent- entire life. It's what I've studied. It's what I've researched, and it's what I feel most comfortable doing, and it's what I feel, um, it's what I, feel I can use to do the most good. So yeah, that's communicating is definitely my superpower. And I would agree because I got to see you first um, speak. I met you at the the community event, but then I got to see you speak at the chamber, the local chamber that we have here. And Cindy was one of the speakers and the way she spoke was so she had my attention the whole time. And so she is definitely, that is her superpower. I mean, she's great. She knows how to work the room and the audience and the topic was so great. And so, you know, then got to have, you know, work with her then with the Elevating Women Conference as well. And her, a little fun fact with that, uh, us, all three of us presented at that, we kind of knew high level our topics, but little did we know they would like all like relate um, to it. And Cindy was the showstopper. I mean, the whole audience, I mean, I wanted an encore from you, Cindy, but (laughs) anyway, she's good at what she does. And I definitely- I, I agree. It was such a pleasure getting to see you in action, Cindy, um, in, in the fall. And uh, we are so grateful that you were able to come on today to share your best practices with us um, and also to really open up continued conversation around this ever-changing environment that we have of now looking at how so many so many areas are starting to go back into, you know, that in-person or having that hybrid model of in a few days, at home a few days. Um, so I, I have loved your insight and um, all that you have, have brought to us today. So thank you so much um, for all of you listening to learn more about Cindy and her communication program at St. Xavier University, and also about her Mad Dog Strong Foundation. Go to the Savvy Session LinkedIn page for more details. We'll have all of Cindy's contact information for you there. And um, thanks so much for joining us, Cindy. And thanks for listening all.